An unusual warning from Okanagan RCMP, what they say about Curtis Sagmoen, who's no stranger to law enforcement. A Yale Town community will have to adjust to new neighbors. I'm not really against it, want, as long as it doesn't spill out and it doesn't become a problem here. How the city slid through a new overdose prevention site. And WestJet finally relents what the air carrier is promising to do for customers with trips cancelled by COVID. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Those stories in a moment, but first, just two days after Dr. Bonnie Henry warned that we're in a second wave of COVID-19, we've set a new one-day record for new infections. We have 203 confirmed cases. That's after 10,482 tests, which means our positivity rate is inching closer to two at 1.95. We've now surpassed 12,000 total cases in B.C., Sadly, we've lost two more people, both in long-term care. So that means 256 people have now died in B.C. 70 people are in hospital, 21 of them in the ICU, and nearly 10,000 are considered recovered, leaving us with 1,766 active cases and nearly 4,300 people currently in isolation. Let's bring in Keith Baldry now for a little more context. Keith, today's numbers are concerning. First off, a lot of people wondering mm -hmm. if it may be connected to those gatherings. We were worried about it Thanksgiving. And also, can you tell us where these cases are? Yeah, very interesting, Chris. Uh, obviously, a threshold we never wanted to get to, but we're, there we are. We're over 200. Today, the health, uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and Deputy Health Minister Stephen Brown released a statement saying many of the new cases and community clusters of COVID-19 are directly connected to weddings, funerals, and celebrations of life. The first time they've actually, in a statement, connected the cases to specific events. Now, where are these things occurring? Take a look at where COVID-19 over the last five days has been. It's been in Fraser Health Authority. 72, almost 73% of the cases are in Fraser Health, 20, a little more than 20% in Vancouver Coastal, and relatively little COVID-19 for the rest of the entire province. This is very much a Fraser Health situation, and it's particularly a South Fraser Health. So I'm talking Surrey, uh, Langley, and Delta and such. In terms of the active cases currently in the province in BC, again, it's in Fraser Health, the vast majority, 73% of the active cases in Fraser Health, 20, a little more than 22% in Vancouver Coastal, and again, relatively few COVID-19 cases in the rest of the province. I am told that uh, starting this weekend, there is going to be enhanced enforcement and surveillance of public, public health authorities and health officials in Fraser Health, particularly South Fraser Health, to ensure these weddings and funerals and large gatherings are not occurring because that is where the transmission of the virus is occurring at the greatest rate. And again, you mentioned the positivity rate, Chris, 1.9%. In Fraser Health, it's more than 3%. It's been as high as 4% in recent days. So those are numbers we're going to have to keep an eye on uh, obviously, in the days and weeks ahead. Yeah, we'll watch it closely. Thanks very much, Keith. That's Keith Baldry reporting for us in Victoria. Now, an unusual move for RCMP in the North Okanagan who are warning sex trade workers about a salmon arm man. Curtis Sagmoen is no stranger to police, and he has been in the headlines before. Romina Dea shows us why this extreme measure is being taken now. In the interest of public safety, the RCMP say they are also releasing a new photo of Curtis Sagmoen. The Mounties warning anyone involved in the sex trade not to respond to any requests for services in the Salmon River Road area, south of Salmon Arm, where Sagmoen lives. Hey, 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 hey. 
39-year-old Sagmoen was released from jail in June after serving time for running over an escort with an ATV in August 2017. The incident happened at the family farm where Sagmoen resides. He is subject to a long list of conditions while on probation, including no contact with anyone for sex-related services. According to media reports, the RCMP were at the farm earlier this month after individuals with the sex trade said their services were requested. In October 2017, two months after Sagmoen ran over the sex trade worker with an ATV, RCMP launched a massive search of the 24-acre property, a grisly discovery. Investigators say they uncovered the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero, and her death appears to be suspicious. Sagmoen is not facing any charges in connection to Genero's death. He has not been named a suspect in this unsolved case. Romina Dea, Global News. One woman is dead and two others are injured, including a toddler after a stabbing in Newton last night. As Nadia Stewart shows us, with a suspect in custody, police are investigating how this disturbing incident is connected possibly to family violence. They're happy family. But uh, all of a sudden, I don't know what happened. It is the question on the minds of neighbors in this Newton townhouse complex. What happened in this home that left a woman dead, a man and a toddler in hospital, and another man in custody facing assault and homicide charges? Oh, it's very sad. We feel very sad because uh, I saw that lady so many times. Like he was, play she was playing with her daughter the balcony they always like happy like their daughter they always with their daughter and their mother-in-law father-in-law they lived all together police were called to the area of 66th avenue and 127th street tuesday evening just before nine at the time it was reported three people had been injured following a stabbing they arrived to find a woman with life-threatening injuries a man and little girl also injured all three individuals were taken to an area hospital and unfortunately the the woman died as a result police found the suspect a few blocks away from the scene he is now in custody investigators won't say what his connection is to the victims what i can tell you is that this was a, a situation of family violence Police could not say whether they were called to this home before. IHIT has been called in and will work alongside Surrey RCMP. They are speaking to neighbors. This morning we're dealing with a very tragic incident. We understand that this is a big concern not only for us, um, the police, but as the community as well. But those who live here say they have more questions than answers. And yeah, it's scary. There's families here, they all get along. They're all friendly to each other. Uh, all the kids, they play together, right? Grandmothers, they all sit and talk together. So this just is out of the, out of the ordinary. Nadia Sir, Global News. Another sign tonight of the growing frustration over the homeless and drug addiction crisis, this time in Maple Ridge. A grassroots organization has taken to forcibly evicting addicts and sending them back to the cities they came from. As Grace Key reports, they say they're taking action because no one else will. All of us are going to go in there, we're going to grab all your 
We're gonna put it in that box, and then You're you can- You're not gonna put it in that box. Watch, hey guys. The group is called Clean Up Maple Ridge, and they're removing a woman who was living in a home with an elderly man. How did I destroy You've his life? you brought drug dealers here. You've brought a brothel he, to the neighborhood. He knew. Inside piles of garbage, drug paraphernalia, and a number of IDs. The group was helping the elderly man's stepdaughter who co-owns the home. We got your back. Let's get her done. I think Jamie's the only one getting anything done in this town. Uh, you, you know, you try to do everything legally and the laws are set up to help the folks that are doing the drugs and taking over people's properties. The group organizer says they're not a vigilante group, but fill a void where police and bylaws come up short. We all have innovative ways that we can make things happen. And uh, that's all we're doing is being innovative and hopefully it'll promote um, stronger legislation, stronger laws that hopefully will be enforced. You will not stay here tonight. The group also says it's reclaimed 12 areas that were once overrun by homeless camps. Here, Jamie Seep is confronting a couple near an elementary school. You should know being parked next to an elementary school is kind of a stupid idea. Leave the homeless alone. Stop being a vigilante bully. You are misinformed. I'm sorry. The homeless man's mother confronted Seep critical of the group's tactics. I would describe it as bullies going after people that can't fight back. Uh, all they can do is escape and try to set up and regroup and regather somewhere else. There's never been proof. There's never been anything that we were anything other than helpful. Clean up Maple Ridge, clearly not popular with everyone. The volunteer group started in May 2018 through donations. Seep says they've helped hundreds of people return to their communities. Their goal is to be in more communities throughout the area. Grace Key, Global News. Vancouver's Yale Town is another community that's seen the effects of rampant drug addiction. And last night, Vancouver City Council approved the creation of a new overdose prevention site right across from a local playground. The reaction has been swift from residents and businesses who worry the facility will further increase crime and disorder. Sarah McDonald reports. It's become a symbol in itself of the complex societal issues impossible to ignore in major cities like Vancouver. We are able to see the person as they're overdosing, so we are able to respond instantly. The life-saving services provided by overdose prevention workers like Lindsay Casting will soon be moving from this mobile site on the streets to a designated permanent spot indoors in one of the city's most expensive neighborhoods. Would you want it next to you? Most people say no to that. It's safe, and that in itself creates more safety for everyone. That's something safe drug use advocate Karen Ward will tell you too. Among those who considers Vancouver City Council's polarized vote Tuesday ultimately greenlighting the site a step forward as drug poisoning deaths soar province-wide. We're struggling to get basic, basic life-saving services. Never mind live good lives. Please don't deny that. We've got to start somewhere. But critics say it shouldn't be here. The location itself steps from a park and a playground, a major point of contention and concern. And one of the reasons Sarah Kirby Young and three other councillors voted against it. We support harm reduction. We support safe injection sites. But you have to do it in a way that you work with the community and you listen to them. And that just didn't happen. They didn't feel that they were heard. It just doesn't really make much sense with kids and uh, with, with kids and pups. Nick Mix counts himself among the taxpayers who feel their voice isn't valued amid already heightened concerns surrounding crime, cleanliness, and public safety. I already feel unsafe in this neighborhood. Within, within the past six months to a year. People in my age group don't go to nights. 
People don't walk alone anymore. Supporters of the site maintain the designated space for illicit drug use will ultimately serve everyone. They're not going to encounter people using in the alleys. They're not going to encounter people using in their entranceways. People are going to have this option of somewhere cleaner, safer to use. With those opposed, concerned harm reduction measures will harm their way of life. Sarah McDonald, Global News. On the campaign trail today, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson was in Delta this morning. Once again, Wilkinson went after the NDP for calling the election during the pandemic and for not having an economic recovery plan, even though the NDP released theirs in September. The Liberals are pledging to invest in building strong communities, help small businesses, and move forward with policies that will make that possible. This community here on Scott Road spends far too much time sitting in bridge tunnel, uh, sitting in tunnel traffic waiting for that bridge to be built. We say it's time to build that bridge immediately. We also say it's time to get rid of the small sales tax for a year and reduce it to 3% after that so that people here can invest in their community, build up these small businesses, survive and thrive. NDP leader John Horgan visited a liberal stronghold in Langley, campaigning with candidates Andrew Mercier, Megan Dykeman, and Mike Starchuk. The NDP are pledging to continue their commitment to getting the province through the pandemic with a focus on services for British Columbians. Horgan also took a swing at the Liberals. The B.C. Liberals have a plan that does not involve the people who need the help the most. Their plan is about giving breaks to buy new yachts. Uh, you'll get a tax break. If you want to buy a yacht, I'm not your guy. If you want to have services in your community, if you want to have a government that's focused on you each and every day, the B.C. NDP is the way to go. And B.C. Greens leader Sonia Furstenau is on Vancouver Island promising action on education pledging to create both remote and hybrid learning options for all students across B.C. The Greens offering immediate and long-term funding increases for the public system. Firstino says the NDP government has dropped the ball on the pandemic return-to-school plan and failed to restore the education system to what it was before cuts made by the Liberal government. Outside of what was required by the Supreme Court win, the B.C. NDP have failed to help schools catch up to what was lost during the Liberals' austerity years. This means many schools and classrooms are heavily reliant on PAC fundraising or personal investments by teachers to maintain the quality education that our children deserve. This has to come to an end. The financial situation at ICBC has become an election issue. It's been famously described as a dumpster fire. And since taking power, the NDP government launched a string of major and not always popular reforms at ICBC. The NDP says if they're re-elected, those reforms will continue, while the B.C. Liberals are instead promising to end ICBC's monopoly and open up the insurance market to more competition. Richard Zisman shows us the difference. It's been one of the big promises of the B.C. election. Put out the dumpster fire at ICBC by opening it up for competition. We can do way better than the current situation where young people face bills going from $5,000 to $7,000. The B.C. Liberal plan gives consumers choice. It allows private insurance companies to sell all vehicle insurance products, gives new drivers experience credit for completing driving school, and keeps both the current and no-fault system. Choice means competition, and competition means innovation and better price for consumers. 
But not everyone agrees. Other experts say by keeping some parts of the current system, high legal fees will mean higher rates. And ICBC currently doesn't pick and choose customers. Private companies can. The private insurers actually, uh, they will try to pick uh, those uh, insured parties that are the most profitable for them. And they will leave out those uh, that are uh, maybe uh, uh, the, uh, the potentially higher risk drivers based on characteristics that are difficult to ascertain. Currently, British Columbia has the second most expensive car insurance in the country. To address it, the NDP have put in a plan, moving to a no-fault system in May, cutting out lawyers in most cases, and increasing benefits. Also providing COVID-19 premium rebates if there is a surplus at the end of this year. The no-fault system is borrowed from Saskatchewan and Manitoba, and the NDP is promising it will save drivers an average of $400 a year in B.C. We have... Uh, up to seven, seven and a half million dollars worth of liability coverage if you're injured. Um, and they have the lowest rates in Canada. In a competition system, there are winners and losers. The winners, low-risk drivers. And these are the losers. If you're a young, inexperienced driver, it'll be more expensive. And maybe if you're an elderly, it'll be more expensive because you lose the 15% discount you currently have. As for the Green Party's plan on car insurance, it's hard to find. ICBC doesn't even get mentioned in the platform. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. WestJet customers get a promise they've been waiting for, with thousands still waiting for refunds for canceled flights. What the airline says it will do for them now. That's next on the News Hour. Election averted. How the Trudeau government survived a scare in Parliament coming up on the News Hour. And caught on camera, a mama bear teaching the kids how to scratch that itch. That's coming up later as well. But right now, WestJet passengers got some good news. The airline announcing today it'll begin providing refunds, not just vouchers, to customers whose flights were canceled due to the pandemic. And for more details, let's go to our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrea. And this comes as a bit of a surprise. Yeah, it sure does. This is a complete turnaround for the airline. Thanks, Chris. For months, many WestJet customers have been demanding refunds, but given vouchers instead. But now the airline says through structural changes, it's in a position to begin providing refunds. Effective Monday, November 2nd, eligible customers with WestJet and Swoop will be contacted beginning with those flights canceled by the airline at the start of the pandemic. They will be refunded in the original form of payment. The airline says it will start on those flights cancelled in March 2020 and work its way forward. The airline expects a backlog, however, and is asking guests to be patient and wait to be contacted. Refunds are expected to take six to nine months. So we're just standing up the systems to be able to deal with what we believe will be a significant number of uh, uh, people. And I want to make sure that we can get through as seamless a process as possible, recognizing this this could take many months. And we'll certainly be appreciative of uh, any patience that uh, the traveling public uh, can give us. Uh, but it will be for those people who are um, uh, have had been uh, experienced or were expected to be on a WestJet flight that we've canceled. WestJet announced that it may take six to nine months to refund passengers. It is ridiculous. Passengers are entitled to a refund of all flights, without exception, that were cancelled by WestJet and entitled to a prompt refund. In the U.S., it is typically seven days for credit card transactions, 20 days for other forms of payment. There is no reason on earth why WestJet should not follow the same course. That is the money that belongs to passengers, and if WestJet continues to hold on to that money, they have to pay interest on it. Passengers purchase tickets on credit cards, which carry a high interest rate. So passengers are entitled to be reimbursed for those damages. 
Meantime, those looking for refunds for trips booked through WestJet vacations are asked to continue following the process already in place. WestJet also says it will not be providing refunds for those passengers who canceled their own flights. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right, thanks for the information, Anne. A family's desperate plea to keep looking for their lost son. We've been going around and around in circles for the past four days trying to get anything. Even more new clues turn up in Manning Park with time running out. And a winter warning. Why now is the time to do the tire swap if you haven't already. It's busy still for Highway 1 eastbound in North Vancouver from Mountain Highway headed towards the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge. Just residual volume from this afternoon's afternoon commute. In celebration of Set for Life Scratch Win's 20th anniversary, every ticket is getting a second chance to win. Visit setforlife.ca for details. 19 plus to play. In Global 1 above the Ironworkers Memorial Bridge, I'm Amber Belzer. New clues are giving hope to the family of a hiker missing in Manning Park. The parents of Jordan Natterer and their private search party now tirelessly scouring the area for more proof their son is alive. Ted Chernecki has more on why they're calling on Vancouver police to reopen its suspended search effort. A new layer of snow blankets Manning Park today, but the weather looks promising tomorrow. And with mounting pressure to do more, Vancouver police confirmed tonight that they will try and resume the search, weather permitting. 25-year-old Jordan Natterer was last seen 11 days ago in Manning Park. VPD suspended the search last Saturday, but Jordan's family carries on. It's overwhelming and it's very disappointing that uh, we're, we're in a position where we have to conduct a private search ourselves after Vancouver Police Department essentially gave up on our son after about four and a, four and a half days. Since VPD suspended the search, a hat and sunglasses found have now been identified as belonging to Jordan. And more recently, a small piece of stuffing they think is Jordan's. He has the right backpack. He's got the right sleeping bag. He's wearing a downfilled coat. We have all of that information and we source that through his bank statements and through his apartment. There is now an online petition calling for the search to resume immediately. It describes how the UBC engineering graduate told friends that he planned a solo hike over the weekend. When he didn't show up for Thanksgiving dinner with friends, they knew something was wrong, saying it was completely out of character. Meanwhile, the parents who flew here from Newfoundland are frustrated with the layers of bureaucracy they have to deal with. Because Jordan is a Vancouver resident, the VPD is in charge of the search. But it's not that simple. Anytime we call any one of these organizations, what happens is they point us and to tell us to go to the other organization. And that, that's what we've been doing. We've been going around and around in circles for the past four days trying to get anything. The parents say it's time for Comox Search and Rescue to get involved, and they're pleading with the Premier to make the call. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Still to come, a mom fighting for her child's education. It is 100% just exhausting. Why she says the child's school isn't doing enough. Also tonight, another battleground riding you have to watch on Election Day. I'm Amber Bells in Global One at the Patella Bridge where traffic is light and steady here and it looks great across the Portman Bridge as well depending on which route you want to take in and out of Surrey and Coquitlam. Sussex Insurance has auto plan offices inside Walmarts and real Canadian superstores throughout BC. For hours and locations, visit sussexinsurance.com. Open every day. 
Well, it was touch and go there for a while, but Canadians won't be heading to the polls to vote in a snap federal election, at least for now. The federal NDP, Green Party and two sitting independents all supported the ruling Liberals on what had become a matter of confidence. At issue was a motion tabled by the Conservatives to create a new committee to probe alleged Liberal corruption in light of the We Charity scandals. The final vote count was 146 for and 180 against. Those shenanigans in Ottawa happened exactly one year after the last federal election. Well, it is a city that sometimes doesn't get a lot of attention on election night, except from the two major parties in B.C. The two ridings in Maple Ridge have in the past flipped back and forth between the NDP and the Liberals, making them a major priority this year, too. John Waugh outlines the biggest issues in this very close battleground. In the shadow of this new park are memories of the not-too-distant past. Well, this is our land, not yours. This playground has replaced what used to be the Anita Place Tent City. We actually had a tent city in Maple Ridge that I inherited from the BC Liberals, uh, MLAs, and we were actually able to resolve that by building supportive housing. Our city, our choice! The issue of homelessness, mental health and addictions was at the forefront in 2017. <laughs> when the BC NDP won the riding of Maple Ridge Mission by a margin of only 325 votes. Incumbent Bob Deeth now hoping to expand on that lead by addressing the needs of young families flocking here due to affordability. They need childcare, they need schools, and in Mission we just announced we're going to, uh, uh, if elected, build a new high school. BC Liberal candidate Chelsea Medis, who stepped away from council to run, says the municipality's relationship with the province is broken. We are really taking two steps forward and two steps back, and we're handcuffed by our provincial partners, and the relationship has been very challenging. Pointing to the placement of modular housing on Burnett Street, a location city council had previously shot down. We don't have the population to be able to sustain these social challenges. As a result, businesses are failing. Um, elders are not walking on our streets. Running for the BC Greens, healthcare worker Matt Trenholm says the province needs to do more than just house people. One of the things we need to do is provide mental health services to the entire population of British Columbia. We can achieve that by incorporating it into MSP. In the riding of Maple Ridge Pitt Meadows, the BC NDP took over another Liberal seat in 2017 with a slightly larger margin of victory of 1,600 votes. Now this election, as the incumbent, Lisa Bear benefits from some profile holding the post of BC Tourism Minister. She now faces Cheryl Ashley, who used to serve on Maple Ridge City Council. There is a need that the province has to step up uh, and, and do some work with our local business. To meet the needs of new businesses and young families in these two key ridings, Many say without proper help from the province, getting past old problems will be a bumpy road. John Hua, Global News. The parent of a child on the autism spectrum is speaking out tonight about her agonizing fight to make sure her son doesn't fall behind in school. As Kylie Stanton shows us, the Vancouver Island woman has had her extensive requests for remote learning support denied at every level. Are you going to have an adventure? At this point in the school year, most students are settled back into the classroom. Ahoy! But for some families with diverse learners, lessons from the living room are the only option. My child is not being educated. They are being excluded. They're being segregated. They just slip through the cracks. 
Taylor's eight-year-old son, Xander, was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder just before he entered kindergarten. Since school resumed, he's been participating via remote learning, but only math and language arts are being offered. Taylor says a full curriculum, along with supports, is what's necessary for success. Full curriculum is important for every child. You can't let go of the wheel in any regard for those supports. Since late August, Taylor has brought her request to the principal, school district, Ministry of Education, and the Board of Education. Each time, it was denied, even her appeal. This, despite the operational guidelines for K-12 stating schools and school districts should allow for flexible learning options for students with disabilities or diverse abilities to ensure equitable access to education. You ultimately have nowhere else to go. There's absolutely nothing that you can do. But School District 62's superintendent of schools says accommodations are being provided for remote learning students. We know that schools are at the heart of our neighborhoods and communities. And well, that was the expectation when the education minister rolled out the back-to-school plan. It was not mandatory. Advocates are now calling for the government to do better. But unless those guidelines turn into policies and turn into legislation to ensure inclusive education for all children, then really these parents are at the mercy of whatever the decision is made by the school system. With one in 40 school-aged children being diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in BC, Taylor knows she isn't alone. Her only plan now is to keep fighting. It is 100% just exhausting, demoralizing, just the worst, because none of what I've been asking for is unreasonable. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. And just ahead, surviving a scandal. How could I have been so stupid? The twists and turns of a decade in politics. How some of the big ideas of the new millennium simply didn't work. And in sports, cutting ties with the Blue Jays. Where does that leave the Vancouver Canadians and all of their fans? You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Check out this adorable video. A bear cub following its mother's example near Prince George. All of it caught on video and posted by the Weather Network showing the mother bear doing something very familiar, scratching her back on a tree trunk. Her two cubs can be seen milling around her, and when she's done, one of the cubs takes the lesson to heart and does exactly the same thing. little relief. Well, if you haven't already done so, you might want to put winter tires on your to-do list. This was the scene in Manning Park this afternoon. Drivers on the Hope Princeton Highway navigating some pretty slushy roads. Meteorologists, including Christy Gordon, warn there is more snow on the way. And while we're not expecting it on the Lower Mainland anytime soon, tire stores are advising everyone to get their winter tires now to avoid the inevitable craziness. We are getting busier, absolutely. And, uh, but yeah, this, uh, this time is, uh, we see on the mountain, on the mountain passes, we hear about a lot of snow already. Uh, so we do expect uh, it gets busier already the last few weeks and we expect it to get even busier the next few weeks. Uh, and knowing that like it's, it's only getting colder, it won't get warmer. Fall came in quickly, Christy, and it looks like uh, we might get a taste of winter coming in here just as quickly too. 
That's right. As you mentioned there, it's only going to get colder. It's nice today, but yes, winter is coming, everyone. We'll talk about that in a second, but a quick look at some photos from today. It wasn't snow, but it sure was hail. Yes, a couple of hailstorms cruised through the region today. It looked like snow on the ground. Here's a look at one of those thunderstorm clouds from Chilliwack. Thank you to Philip for that. Certainly a lot of blue sky in the mix today, and when you get that combination, of course, you get a lot of rainbows. Look at the dark clouds in behind there. Thanks, Sarah, for sharing that photo with us. So this is the situation. All of these areas, Caribou, Whistler, Fraser Canyon, east through the Car- uh, Kootenai region, uh, 2 to 10 centimeters of snow likely starting Thursday night and then continuing through Friday. Here's the timeline of that. So the central coast getting it first, Caribou region as well, and then it shifts all across southern BC. Now, lower mainland, we're talking about just rain, but we're certainly expecting snow on the local mountains. And this system pushes out quickly. Over the weekend, we're back to sunshine, but it's going to get cold for a good three days. And that includes the lower mainland. So in the meantime, this is your Thursday. Not bad conditions. We'll see some cloud cover, but pretty nice day on Thursday. It's ahead of that next system, which will move in Thursday night. And we will see the bulk of that moisture overnight Thursday into our Friday. And for the south coast, that means rain and wind. Clearing out, though, just in time for the weekend. But boy, it's going to get chilly. Down to minus one in some parts of Metro Vancouver. So frost in the morning. That was tonight's sunset again with those thunderstorms or towering cumulus clouds and lots of blue sky in the mix. Thanks to Mike Page for that one. All right, Chris, back to you. Just a beautiful shot. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. We'll bring in Squire now for a look ahead to what's coming up in sports. Squire, a bit of a shakeup in minor baseball. Yeah, this has been talked about for a while. It's not finalized yet, but the feeling is minor league baseball could have 42 less teams next year. But the Canadians are going to avoid being cut. Uh, But we do not expect that to take place in Vancouver. We're excited about the future. Now, we don't know exactly how the future will look for the Canadians at Nat Bailey Stadium going forward, but we'll find out a bit. All right. uh, Also ahead, we're going to take a look at one decade dominated by the Liberals and a look at the successes and scandals of the 2000s. to find a prettier little ballpark than Nat Bailey, and we'll uh, find out what's going on over there right now with uh, Squire and the baseball teams. Yeah, there is no Canadians games there this year. Uh, yesterday, we told you about a report out of Oakland that said the Vancouver Canadians will have the A's as their parent team next year rather than the Toronto Blue Jays. But Andy Dunn, who runs the Canadians and has been with the C since 2008, says not so fast. There are many unknowns And there are a lot of changes coming to Major League, make that minor league baseball in 2021. Nothing is definite yet, except for one thing, which is good. The Canadians will be around. There's going to be some dramatic changes to minor league baseball. You know, they are going to talk about, they're talking about looking like they're going to eliminate 42 teams across North America. Uh, But we do not expect that to take place in Vancouver. We're excited about the future. And uh, we're just waiting for the negotiations to kind of finalize and figure out what we're going to be looking at coming out the other side. Out the other side means Nat Bailey Stadium, which has sat empty all this year, will have a full-time baseball tenant come 2021. Who that affiliation is with and whether it's short season single-A ball or longer is yet to be known. Teams are allowed to suggest and put in where they would like to be. 
you know, we know Toronto would like to be here. You know, we, when this thing first started, we were initially aligned to the thought was we would be with the San Francisco Giants. We're currently with the Blue Jays. There was a tweet out the other day about the Oakland A's, and we have a history with the A's in Vancouver. Um, but, Jay, to get your point, because nobody knows. There's been no information. Major League Baseball has not finalized it. They haven't finalized it with the Major League General Managers yet. They haven't finalized it with the Minor League Clubs yet. So, obviously, any information out there is not accurate information. Not to say that we may end up with the A's. We may end up with the Blue. We just don't know yet. All right. Well, we will end up with baseball, no matter who the parent team is. Globe Life in Arlington, Texas. On the far first and this is game two of the World Series, and that's Brandon Lowe with the solo shot. And in the fourth inning, Tampa Bay trying to tie the series is up 3-0 on the Dodgers. Former Steelers, briefly a Raider and briefly a Patriot-wide receiver Antonio Brown's league-imposed suspension is going to end in early November. And apparently a number of teams are interested in signing him, including Seattle. Seahawks GM John Schneider is talking with Brown's people, and Pete Carroll, the head coach, is on board with that idea as well. We have, uh, we have endeavored to, to be in on everything that's going on, and John has done a marvelous job of always being tuned in to what's happening. And uh, this is a high-profile football player, and, uh, and he's had a tremendous history and all that. So um, the fact that it's really, you know, it's, it's, everybody's curious about it. It makes sense. The Miami Dolphins haven't been too bad this year. They're very much in the playoff race, but they have decided now is the time to switch quarterbacks. They're going to go from veteran Ryan Fitzpatrick being their starter to rookie Tua Tagovailoa. Now, because of the Dolphins' recent record, it is a bit of a surprising decision. But the most surprised of all was Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was very honest about how disappointed he is. Uh, I mean, I was, I was uh, shocked by it. You know, it definitely caught me off guard. Got all kinds of time. Fitzpatrick, can he run for it? Yes, he can. You know, look, Fitz has done a great job. He's been productive. Um, his leadership's been great. Um, it's not a, it's not an easy decision. Um, you know, for me or us as an organization, this eventually was going to happen. No matter, it, it was just a matter of kind of when, not if. And um, it's still just it. It broke my heart yesterday, and um, you know, it's a tough. Uh, tough thing for for me to hear and to now have to deal with, but um, you know I'm going to do my best with it. All right, Bayern Munich, no fans as you can see. Champions League defending champions in their first game in Champions League as the defending champions. Quarantine Toliso, great shot, great goal. That made it three nothing over Atletico Madrid in the 66 minute. Alfonso Davies got in this game late, didn't score. But uh, Kingsley Common had two. That's very nice. 4 nothing the final for uh, Bayern Munich. There you go. All right. Thanks very much, Squire. Appreciate that. Here's Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11 tonight. Jay. Thank you, Chris. We'll have more tonight on these so-called super spreader events, weddings, funerals, and celebrations of life that are being blamed for many of the new COVID-19 cases in B.C. Plus, the first COVID-19 school outbreak has been declared. It's at a French language school in Kelowna where 160 students and staff have now been asked to self-isolate. Well, those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right, thanks very much, Jay. And when we come back, some of the wacky stories in politics 
at the turn of the millennium and beyond. That's next. Global BC's 60th anniversary in partnership with Connect Hearing, the number one physician-referred hearing provider. Well, the new millennium brought big changes to provincial politics in B.C. A new era brought a return to power by the Liberals, led by former Vancouver Mayor Gordon Campbell. But as Keith Baldry recalls, there were dark clouds on the horizon. I want to make sure that Greens understand that they can't win a seat anywhere in British Columbia. The decade began with the crushing end of an NDP government as the B.C. Liberals smashed their way to a 77-2 seat win to grab power for the first time in more than 50 years. Are we ready to elect Rob Niger? Gordon Campbell and the B.C. Liberals would rule B.C. for the next decade and quickly began their time in power by bringing in a huge 25% income tax cut. I believe personally that when we make these changes over time, we'll see what happened in every other jurisdiction in Canada that will get a boost to our economy. The tax cut, however, ate so much into government revenues that government services had to be slashed. A Liberal cabinet minister from that time, now an author of a book about the cut's impact, remembers. One of the things the Liberal Party promised in the 2001 election was to avoid any cuts to health and education. That meant a $4.4 billion deficit had to be, the savings had to be found in the 30% of government that was not health or education. Mr. Campbell, let me introduce you to the people of British Columbia. The Liberals' first years in power were dominated by labor unrest as they tore up collective agreements with public sector unions all to save money. Meanwhile, the political opposition was reduced to just two MLAs, Jenny Kwan and the scrappy Joy McPhail. I expect that people are going to be saying over the course of the next three years, we've got to do everything we possibly can to stop the damage that Mr. Campbell's bringing about. I have a Gordon M. Campbell who was arrested for what we call OUI, operating a vehicle under the influence of an intoxicant. And then, suddenly, the focus shifted to Campbell's personal life. In January 2003, he was arrested for drunk driving while on vacation in Hawaii. I let you down, and I'm sorry. How could I have been so stupid? I will not drink again. I know the apologetic I tears seemed to work with the public. Campbell won re-election in 2005, but the NDP rebuilt itself as well. New leader Carol James brought the party back to respectability. Mr. But Campbell, you know, it's I interesting think we heard to note you actually that again, say in the last election again, that you the keep BC thing, Rail in public hands and you sold it. So should we believe you now? But labor unrest never really died down. A teacher strike in October 2005 dragged on for two weeks. Campbell could also be unpredictable. In 2008, B.C. became the first government to introduce a carbon tax, and Campbell was hailed as a climate change fighter. So our plan is going to be carried out exactly as we laid it out. We've heard from an awful lot of, uh, of experts that the approach that we're taking is not just balanced, but it's the way for us to actually deal with this so we build a stronger and a greener economy. The B.C. Liberals would win one more election in this decade, but soon afterwards, the seeds of Campbell's ultimate downfall were planted. He introduced the harmonized sales tax after saying he wouldn't do so in the recently completed election campaign. That tax brought back to life an old political war horse, none other than former Social Credit Premier Bill Van Der Zandt, who led a successful campaign to get rid of it. Alona Mission 
$11,028. The tax would eventually end Campbell's political career. How you doing? Never been better. How are you doing? But with all its ups and downs, it still has to be considered a successful one. He kicked the new century off with an election win and followed it up with two more victories. Keith Baldry, Global News. On what will happen on October 24th, what new page in the history books will we write? It should be uh, exciting. Even if you're not a mm -hmm. political junkie like Keith Baldry and Richard Zussman, <laughs> we're going to have some fun on election night for sure. Uh, between now and then, some cooler weather, right, Christy? Yeah, so tomorrow, a little cooler still, more cloud cover tomorrow, but tomorrow night is when we're going, thank you, Brayden, was when we're going to see the rain push in. So wet Friday, everyone, but it clears out just in time for the weekend, and yes, it's going to get cold this weekend, especially overnight. So, but frosty mornings, but nice during the day with that sunshine. Okay, and say hi to Brayden. Got a little and helper here. As well. <laughs> it's nice to have a little helper at the end of the show. Thanks. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a good night.